Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. This is Majority 54. It's the podcast for people who just won a presidential election and voted for the person who did and want to, you know, make the win bigger next time. Uh, so I am, I'm having uh, a Boulevard jam band, which I'm sure there'll be no shortage of haters out there who are like, that's not a real beer. And no, well, first of all, this is a Kansas City beer. Second, um, before Diana got, well, we got pregnant, um, really, uh, before we got pregnant and I was like in solidarity, uh, I'm not going to drink during that period. Uh, I was like really curious about this new Boulevard flavor and I, I ended up not getting to try it. So I'm going to do that here. That was a long preface. No, yeah, that's great. And I, uh, for I'm gonna be the elite New Yorker with my natural wine, uh, and I I live for those of, you know no, nobody would know this I live above a great wine store called Wine Therapy in Manhattan, and uh, I know the people down there, and we've bonded a lot over COVID, and they save like good bottles for me, and every once in a while on my way up they just pass me stuff. Um, I pay them for it, but they pass me um, so the best. There you go, the best everybody. Now now you know where Ravi lives. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but actually, Live. hard to find me though. Uh, yeah. If if you'd think I, I'm a man on the run, uh, I will be gone tomorrow. So if you're if if you want to assassinate yeah, me, you've got, you've got a short period of time before you get me. This is congratulations to all of us on four years of hard work. Cheers. Should we do a cheers, cheers. to the thing? Or do like a little cheers. There you cheers. Go. Cheers. And there those of you at home, we can't see you, but I hope you're with us on this. Boulevard Jam Band. That's a good beer. It's fruity. There we um, go. You know, I mean, I guess there are people who will say like, oh, you you know, you're drinking a beer that has fruit in it. Yeah, I went to war. I drink nice. what I want, you know. You know, we've been, I think, pretty uh, consistent in our message. I mean, our pod the other night was titled, uh, We're Gonna Win. <laughs> um, and, and it's amazing that, I'm not saying like people just need to listen to us, but it is amazing how... People, even in the IG live right now, people are just like, is, is it over really? Like, I don't, I don't, why are you, you're drinking the beer? Is it okay? Uh, I just came from uh, helping my brother move and my parents were there and my mom who listens to this podcast, who, you know, I think probably is a more loyal consumer of content that I create than, than most. My mom is like, really, is Biden going to win? <laughs> so, so I think this is necessary. And I guess what I just want people to understand is, is this to, to assuage your concerns and to tell other people to assuage their concerns is the only reason that you're seeing this part of the process where you're seeing all of this voting. I guess there's two reasons. One is, you know, we know that the Republican legislatures demanded that none of the uh, mail-in ballots be counted until the polls had closed and that, that caused this hangover. And they did it in, 
on purpose to set up this Trump strategy of claiming fraud. We know that. But the other part of this is like pretty normal. It does take several days to actually tabulate all the votes, to do all this stuff. It's just that usually at this point, particularly in a race that is becoming as clear as this one, you know, one of the two human beings involved has a level of dignity that doesn't allow them to go through this. And so they concede. And that's how these races usually end. And that's what the networks are running into. Like They don't know what to do when, when one side just doesn't concede when all the evidence says they should. And so that's what's causing that. And obviously, they got to say something for 24 hours. I think that's what's causing everybody's anxiety here. Yeah, I've I've come to peace with it, as I imagine a lot of the other people do, which is it'll come when it comes. It's like we've been trained all year to just change our expectations about everything. And so, you know, we know we're not going to be in that victory party hugging each other. We know we're not going to see Biden um, with a massive crowd uh, and the confetti coming down. We knew that coming in and all year, whether it's weddings, funerals, uh, school uh, just normal night out on the town. You know, we just know that nothing in 2020 is is what we hoped it would be. And so I, I, I've strangely, like it, the thought almost never occurred to me the past few days that this would be anything other than as weird as it's been, if that makes right. any sense. You know? No. You know what it reminds me of is, uh, and forgive the Kansas City sports analogy, but you know, when you have just been conditioned for so long to expect things to go wrong, I remember being at the 2014 AL wildcard game. The Royals came back and won a game they never should have come back and won. But it was also after 29 years of us never going to the postseason. I remember the moment in the 12th inning when we won and we walked it off. You, there was a collective just holding of the breath of everybody in the stadium. And it was like, even though it was baseball, we were all waiting. Where's the yellow flag, right? Like clearly yeah, they're as not going to let this I could, happen. I could very definitely right. relate. Yeah, yeah. Like Always clearly we're, we're going like, this is Kansas City. Like we we didn't win this game. That can't be it. Yeah. And, and, and that I think after four years of getting up every day and Trump is still the president and many times that feels like it's the morning after the 2016 election over and over again. I get why people are conditioned to to feel this way. Right. Um, but but this is happening. Trump right. lost. We won. Well, uh, why don't we start? I can tell a little story to start us off. Uh, I have been making the rounds with my friends and family today. Uh, and my brother and I spoke, and we hadn't spoken about politics since June. Mm. Uh, and This is your brother who's an Afghanistan veteran? Afghanistan right? veteran, federal corrections officer, and Republican. And back in June, he told me he was like on the fence about voting for Trump. And I hadn't spoken to him since which I'll come back to about politics, uh, which is a bad majority, majoritarian or whatever we call ourselves here. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really do the work with him. Well, but... you, you've been you've been you've been working on other family members. I think you were. Yeah. Well, he called me out on it though, which is what I wanted to say. So mm. he's been listening to the pot, which oh, I was really surprised. You're, about. you're sometimes like I don't know if you're listening, but yeah, yeah, and I was for sure thought he wasn't listening and. He called me out. He was like, hey, I don't want to call you out publicly, which I don't know what that would mean for him. He's a pretty private guy. But he was like, you know, you haven't tried any of these arguments on me. And I said, you know, the last time we got into, we talked politics in any real way, we got into a really heated argument. And I asked you, are you, and I actually shared this on the pod at one point. I said, do you, are you, are you, is your mind changeable on this? Because I don't see you changing my mind on this and I'm not changing yours. So why don't we talk about something else? And that was kind of where we left off. And he acknowledged that. But is this is this by the way your older brother or your younger he's brother? He's older. Yeah, he's 2 years older than me. And so what's interesting about him is we 
we talk a lot of majority 54 in last episode we talked about a lot of people are a product of their circumstance but what's interesting is my brother and i had the exact same circumstance just two years apart uh and we came we have dramatically different politics and so he works for the federal government and i just said to him i was like look if i could have you on the pod i'm sure jason yeah. would be cool with that my brother was just thinking. yeah and he was like i think i can and i was like i don't want to get you fired but i was like check and then yeah. i'll ask jason if it's cool oh, with yeah. you i'd love to have you on and you know and I'm not just saying this because my brother and I are very competitive over time and, and I, I don't compliment him easily, but he is the smartest person I debate with on a daily basis. And I actually, in talking to him today, even for a brief period of time, I learned so much and he, I think, would provide the listeners uh, something familiar, but also he's incredibly adept uh, at pushing back on a lot of my beliefs and and voicing a real frustration that I think should be listened to. I think there's something behind what he's saying, even if I disagree with his politics, that is real and that the Democratic Party should really listen to. So I'm going to, assuming, I don't want to get him fired, but assuming his job allows him to come on this podcast and talk politics, uh, I would love to have him on. Uh, and I think it would be a very, given the reaction of the episode yesterday, I think people would really enjoy it. I've always been worried because we all know that the conversations we have with family members often are a little unsafe for uh, the a, an unforgiving environment, but he was, you know, it made me, it made me hopeful, in, in a weird way because it was civil and kind, even if we were disagreeing. And so I would love to love to get him on for that. It's like perfect role modeling of what we're telling people. I, I, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, I think we should totally do it. Right. He he was great. So was so great. that I mean so you know you're role modeling the behavior that's good. I think we can we can do a couple of voicemails because along these lines. The first one it's it's from a gentleman named Todd. He's in Arkansas. Uh, I really like this this guy Todd. Hey, Majority Fifty Four. This is Todd from Randolph County in Northeast Arkansas. I am a Trump Biden voter as of uh, the most recent election yesterday. Uh, the issue that keeps coming up in my circles, on my Facebook pages, in my friends and family is the fear of increased abortion underneath Joe Biden and his administration, with second issue kind of being gun rights, and then a minor third of socialized medicine underneath Obamacare. So how do we respond to some of this, specifically the abortion fear, because as a person of uh, science and a faith, and that speaks to a lot of people in my community, there's a real there's a real fear of it. And the Republicans, used to being the party of personal responsibility, many people in my area feel that when people engage in acts that have consequences, um, they, people should take responsibility for them. Y'all can respond to that. That'd be fantastic. Thanks. My first thing that I would say to Todd is I would encourage Todd, since he is a Trump Biden voter, I would I would ask Todd, well, what swayed you? Because the most powerful argument that you have is to go back to him and say, look, I used to feel how you feel. Let me tell you what changed my mind. Uh, that's that's where I would start. Yeah, totally. That whole idea of anchoring, which we talked about yesterday, which is starting where you agree on something is so powerful uh, or a shared experience, 
which is, you know, just starting about why you even were a Republican in the first place and what your conservative values are. Like, I think it, like we on this pod and, and in general in this coalition, I wouldn't say on the left, because I think the coalition is broader than the left, shouldn't be afraid of small C conservative values because Trump uh, violates them on the, on the regular, as does he violate most religious values, whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, or anything else. And as somebody who went through a few years of Catholic school and every day would, would do uh, religious education, there's there is no shortage of... Uh, material in the Bible that isn't peripheral that he violates, you know? And so, um, you know, Matthew six twenty four about you can't serve two masters, uh, you know, um, God and money uh, would obviously apply to the president, uh, you know, Romans twelve eighteen, 18, um, to, you know, do all you can to live uh, in peace everywhere uh, and with everyone. Um, Leviticus about the importance. Are you of you you didn't write down notes. You're just doing this. It, well, dude, they, I've been in you know Catholic school. What are you going to do? I went you gotta, to Catholic school, uh, but I'm I was a Jew, so I I was the only one. I, I'm I may sure, not have listen, been paying as much attention. There's a ton. There's a ton in the Bible about the treatment of immigrants, for example, and 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 foreigners, as they say in, in the in most translations of the Bible, Leviticus in particular, where it's it's obvious that there's a kindness of Jesus Christ. That if we're, we're focusing on the dominant religion within the Republican Party and, and what our listener is asking about, and you could just keep going on, like literally every commandment, whether it's the Bible's commandments or the Ten Crack Commandments or the Mayflower Compact, like whatever you want, like where <laughs> there's there's something the, violated by this the president. Magna Carta. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not hard. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I would just say, like, like what comes natural to you, obviously. The president is full of shit when it comes to religion. We've all seen the videos where he's asked about his favorite Bible verse, and he's like, "All of them, I can't. It's hard to pick. I can't like, what? choose. It's amazing. It's insane." But now, uh, I, like, I I do want to acknowledge that a lot of people who I talk to who are, uh, who are evangelical Christians uh, or or any other um, uh, sect who are like particularly animated uh, or particularly motivated by the the abortion argument. Are number one motivated because they they know he's going to have their back on this issue, which is undoubtedly true. Like in terms of policy, like maybe not in his personal conduct, which we don't know a ton about, but we could surmise. Uh, so, and there's this this very strange strain that Trump was somehow sent here by God to do certain things. That is, I mean, your guess is good as mine about how to counter that, other than to just say God told you something else. Uh, or, <laughs> right, right. or that you were at least, uh, you know, I don't want to make light of it, or like at least like you are moved by your faith, and like you are not in on this secret that other people are in on, uh, and there's a certain humility that's inherent in most scripture that people should be practicing, uh, whether I, I they do or we not. Can, I think we can stipulate that if someone tells you that God told them to vote Republican you can it's you're allowed to move on to the next person yeah it's i think it's a little bit more complicated than that and i think our listeners yeah like i think it's more like you know we've all been to lots of different types of church a lot of us who are listening this uh or different types of religious service it's all about the art of you take this passage and you tell this story or whatever and there's just this now there's this whole body of work now that interprets scripture to make it seem like trump is some kind of thing sent here. You know, it's it's not like the voices in somebody's head, although I'm sure that, you know, the, those voices are somewhere, but uh, it's more just like this thing that's exists. It's almost like the, the prosperity gospel, you know, like it, 
it's just it's it's it they find the right passages they build a body of work and a set of arguments and it's now commonplace and it's the things people talk about in coffee shops i think it goes back to personalizing it right because if you're it's really important to be empathetic and to be able to put yourself in in this person's shoes right because because if they're saying this from a religious perspective like it sounds like um todd's circle of friends are then it's what they're hearing on Sunday in the pews. And you've got to be realistic about your ability to compete directly with their pastor. That's somebody with a great deal of credibility in their life. And the best thing you can do is is invite them to be empathetic with your experience and to say, well, look, you know, here's what, what my spiritual beliefs or here's what my faith or, or my experience has, has taught me. And just bring them in, you know, set the scene for them. And 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 that's that's the best you can do in that. But then I think the next part, and this this segues into it really well, is you know, Todd's citing stuff like the abortion issue, guns, uh, you know, uh, socialized medicine, as 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 the as he uh, as they're referring to it with him. And I think it's important to remember that oftentimes these are not, particularly on guns, uh, these are not actual policy arguments aimed at peeling people off. That these are cultural signals. You can hear in Todd's voice that. There are people around him. I mean, I'm literally saying you can hear in his accent that there are going to be people around him who are going to say these things. And what they mean is that person wouldn't fit in here. I mean, Todd is, you know, I've campaigned in places in in Missouri when I was on the ballot that are like real close to where he where he lives. I think at the end of the day, the argument that we have to make is you make the argument on, look, obviously, uh, you know, if, if abortion is your issue, you go back to just it's some version of safe legal and rare right it's we're going to make sure that everybody has access to uh you know contraception we're going to make sure that people aren't placed in that situation you know poverty and all these different uh circumstances that cause this and then you just say but look do you really think that uh, i'm a person who uh would do these terrible things that you're talking about if they've ascribed it to be some terrible thing, right? If they're throwing around terms like murder or whatever. So you, you build on your credibility you already have. And then you go to guns and you're like, look, I'm a gun owner too, but here's what I think they want to do. That's important. And and the whole thing is like, what they're really saying is candidate A or candidate B wouldn't fit in, in your neighborhood. And all you got to do is make it clear, like they'd fit in fine. And look, that's what the gun ad was that I did. It it was, yeah, I'm for gun control. Here's why. And by the by the way, I know what the hell I'm talking about. And what was implicit in it was, and you and I would get along just fine. On the issue of abortion, too, there's a whole body of uh, evidence using CDC data that suggests, I know there's a huge online debate about this, and so I, I, I want to honor that, but it, it seems to me, the last time I looked at it, that abortion rates dropped uh, significantly more during the Clinton and Obama years than in other Republican administrations. And I haven't updated that for the Trump years, so I'm not sure what, what has happened over the Trump years. Uh, and the theory from, from Democrats is that the reason why it did was because of the availability of contraception and the expansion of Medicaid. I don't know if that's true or not, but if, if, if you're encountering this argument a lot, you might want to just steep yourself in that body of work. Now, I know that contraception is also... Uh, controversial in some circles, et cetera. But it's all a question of like a ladder of evils to the people you're talking to, like presumably putting children in cages uh, and lying and adultering um, and, um, you know, whatever, like, you know, pick pick your poison, um, avarice uh, are all things that we should be concerned about uh, as Christians or atheists uh, with strong ethical foundations, humans, as, human know, as human beings. Yeah. 
and you know, you gotta, we gotta reclaim this space. It's not gonna happen overnight. But if you study the history of religion, there's never one issue that dominates forever. So at over over time, we will reclaim the ethical argument re- regarding scripture. It may not be tomorrow, but we got to continue working at it. Well, I think at the end of the day, the last thing I'll say about this for Todd is that, you know, there's been a real lamenting in the Democratic Party for uh, two decades now of why are these people voting against their economic interest? And usually the answer is these, you know, oftentimes the answer is these first two things that Todd mentions, right? Uh, choice, uh, or in their case, they'd call it life, and then guns, right? And And so we don't have to win the argument with them on those two issues necessarily. If you can make a really good case on the economic side that things are deeply unfair, then all you really have to do is get them to a point where it is a draw on these other issues. That's all you got to do because all you're trying to do is give them license. I would be willing to bet that that's what happened for Todd. Todd is a guy who he voted for Trump and then he voted for Biden. And if you listen to the entirety of that message, he's still struggling with a lot of these issues. But what he did is he... I'm sure got to a point where he was not exactly sure, but he was like, you know what? But the rest of this economically just makes an awful lot of sense. And that's really your goal is just to get them to a point where they recognize the, uh, that, that what you're saying is also reasonable and they can give themselves a license to, to not do what maybe their pastor is telling them to do, but what they feel actually is right. Yeah. One last point on this is my go-to has always been, and this is obviously in a world where Trump is the main opponent, obviously, that, that may or may not change. We're not sure yet what will happen over the next four years. But and For everybody listening, the election's over. We won. Ravi's just saying Trump may win. Yeah, he may, may run, run again. again. Yeah, this was a yeah. big part of the conversation. I don't want to convers- scare people. This is a big part of the conversation with my brother, by the way, who, who was optimistic from his perspective that Trump was not going to be the leader of the Republican Party because my brother was one of those people who supported Trump. Uh, in large part in opposition to us and our beliefs, but did, but, but felt like Trump was a, a flawed vessel for his beliefs. And I think that's probably our best, like the net, like, you know, there's the kind of swing voter who was close, who went with Trump, but then there's like the people like my brother who don't like Trump, but, but have strong an ideology, ideological difference with us and, and a lack of trust in us. I think that those are people we should still work on. And then there are people like my dad, who's just a Trump fan like a Scientologist, he's not going to get there. Uh, but I think for the people like my brother, though, the argument I constantly make for people like that is, and this this applies to the abortion argument as well, is like, in this case, it happens to be like Jesus Christ. Like, if you put Jesus Christ in a room together with Trump, like, come on. Like, like this is somebody who in every possible way is anathema to the teachings of the gospel. And that could be true of somebody who's an educator or somebody who's a father. You know, like I think you take people's role and say this person is not just a policymaker; they are a moral leader and an example for our children and for us and our representative of the rest of the world. And they're a representative of our our Christianity. They're a representative of your faith, uh, whatever it is, or your lack of faith and your ethical beliefs. Um, and you know, and so for some, I just think that it's like you put people in that position to say, is this the representative we want, regardless of the policy that matters. So this is our third emergency episode of the week. Uh, look, I'll admit, as, as optimistic as I am, it's been a long week. And something to keep in mind during uh, weeks like this one is that mental health is really, really important. And, and look, you know me. You know how passionate I am about mental health. 
And now there's great programs like BetterHelp, which you can use safe and secure online. You can speak with a licensed counselor about depression, anxiety, stress. Maybe you're just not feeling right. That's that's reason enough. If something's feeling off, believe me, you should address it. And so whatever it is you want to work on, it's convenient, it's affordable, it's great. And I want you to start living a happier life today. I want you to address whatever might need addressing. Uh, and as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com M54. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. All right, the next one is from Ben uh, uh, here in, in the Kansas City area. Hey, gentlemen. This is Ben in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, I always enjoyed when Jason was a guest on our radio show in Kansas City back in the day, so I am excited to be able to call into yours. As optimistic as I remain about the likely Biden win and also hanging on to the House, my question remains on strategy for the Democrats coming out of this election. The flat-out rejection of Trumpism within the Republican Party, particularly among white men and women, just didn't happen. And while I was hoping for certainly more of a push in the Senate, and I, I suppose as I'm calling you today on Wednesday morning, it's still in play, I'm not optimistic about the way that I was heading into Election Day, especially when you had the re-elections in fairly convincing fashion for both Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. So my question is, what needs to be the Democratic or the Democrat strategy for unification moving forward? And furthermore, is embracing a more progressive movement even more worthwhile, considering a lot of those progressive wins yesterday in the House? Uh, because even some, some moderate candidates in the Senate, like Doug Jones and Barbara Bollier in the Senate, uh, those did not come close. Great show. Appreciate you guys taking the, taking the call. So I think the, the, the answer may not be the traditional progressive platform or the quote unquote moderate positions right now, I think that we need to think imaginatively about what we're not, nobody's talking about enough. And I think about the experience of running schools in the South and one of the, you know, one of many constituencies in this country that just isn't spoken to properly and honored um, are, you know, kids and especially kids who have poor educational options. And, for me, um, I think about this false choice between the the, the quote unquote left or the progressive space and, and moderates, uh, because I think of the experience of the kids I served, who are wonderful kids who uh, didn't have a lot of great options uh, for school. And one of the things I think we have to reckon with as a party is that a lot of the agenda is set by affluent progressives, uh, especially urban affluent progressives who have a certain belief system about the world. And if you look at education, for example, they're uh, a group of people who often send their kids either to private school or to public schools that are in districts that uh, have high property values. And I don't begrudge them for those choices at all. Everybody does tries to do the best they can by their kids. My mom certainly did. Uh, whenever she had some, you know, she had, she had the means to get us the best possible educational option she could. But I don't think that that same courtesy is afforded to uh, communities of color, uh, any other low-income community. And I see that in my city of New York right now, where there are so many different options for families with means and not many options for families without. And we as progressives have perpetuated a structure where there are, there are multiple tiers of educational privilege uh, and where um, the least well-off 
have the worst options and in many ways uh for, like affluent progressives are protecting that privilege and 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 going to battle with that set of privileges is not left or or moderate it's just undone it's just never been done like we have as a party have never properly reckoned with that and then you could apply that to housing you could apply that to economics uh there's just there, there's a whole body of policy and um and, and i think a lot of populist um storytelling uh and persuasion um and just service to communities that are underserved right now for a party that are just not in any box right now that need to be on the table uh and that's what I'm pumped about, and I don't think that that those are policies that any side of the argument right now are giving enough uh, weight to. So what you just said reminds me a lot of something that would happen a lot during my campaign, uh, initially the one for the Senate, but also when I was running around, you know, thinking I was going to run for president. In both cases, I was all over the country talking to some of the wealthiest Americans. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking the wealthiest Americans. Now I was talking to the ones that were Democrats, but. That didn't change the fact that in some cases, they were severely out of touch with the rest of the country. And and people have heard me say before that there's something clearly very wrong with a system that had me spending 96% of my time with people for whom America had worked out exquisitely. Um, but in those conversations, like despite the fact that they were, they were, you know, Democrats, we'd still be having conversations where they would say things like about the minimum wage, like, yeah, they were for raising it, but... They would clearly, in some case, I'm not talking all these people, but some would make moral judgments about people who would put themselves in a situation, as they would put it, where they were working for minimum wage. So, my, so I, I, I agree with you that the, the point from the progressive left, of which I am largely a part, that, uh, that the so-called corporate Dems are out of touch, and I don't think that's wrong at all. You know? And so whether you're using the, the education analogy or, or whatever, I, I agree. I guess where I see the disconnect in the party in terms of unification is in the assumption that it is policy arguments that are making the difference in attracting these voters. For the most part, I don't think that is the case. I think that whether you are more moderate uh, on, say, healthcare, maybe maybe you are like for the public option, but you're not for Medicare for all or you're for Medicare for all. There are almost, I promise you, almost no gettable voters who are making their decision whether to vote for you or not based on that. They might make their decision based on how good of an argument you make for the idea of the government having a much larger role in healthcare, because either way, that's how they see your position, right? And so my point is, is that we have to realize that to the, to the other side and to independents, while we may see huge differences between our, between you know different stripes of Democrats, they don't see them. And so it is in our interest, whether you are far to the left or whether you are less far to the left, to just make a really good argument. And we look, if we win these two Senate seats, which I hope we will, then by all means, let's have that fight because we're going to have the power to make these things happen. And then it makes sense for us to have a giant argument about what kind of healthcare law to do and you know, and all that, and how far to go on guns. But until we do, we just got to make these arguments. All right, Biden's about to speak. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, but what I just want to leave everybody with is the the Trump campaign and Donald Trump, they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to try and make us believe that there's still an election to be decided, that uh, that this is in doubt. Uh, this is not in doubt. We have won the election. We have defeated Donald Trump. And 
and you know, you can enjoy your weekend, I guess is the point of this podcast. Emergency pod, enjoy your weekend. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it, there's a lot of beautiful weather around the country right now uh, in, in vast swaths of the country. Um, you know, science says that there's, there are safe ways to be outside uh, in the vicinity of people you care about. Uh, if you take the proper precautions, get out there, get some fresh air, get away from Twitter, get away from your computer, um, pop in this podcast, go for a walk, and uh, and just celebrate a major victory uh, for our country, for our institutions for the most vulnerable in our society, uh, because this was a long time coming. Good work, everybody. You defeated the big bad guy boss at the end of the video game. Reward yourself like I just did. I just had a beer. Uh, now, uh, we're going to keep doing these pods. We, we want to continue to hear from you about what you'd like to hear us address, what you'd like to have help uh, countering out there, or just what questions you have. And you can leave us a voicemail you know, we may play it on the air and, and respond to it. The voicemail is 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. Thanks, everybody. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Music by Kimmet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.